You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you this morning. Are you glad to be here? All right. Sometimes people are not, so I'm glad you are. Um, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, and we got uh, so much that God is going to teach us today. As we begin, um, a few weeks ago, we implemented something, and that was something new in the life of our church, and that's our TFC monthly family monthly memory verse. Uh, as a family, as a church, we're memorizing a, a passage of scripture, a, a verse together. So it's going to be one per month. It's going to be 12 per year, a verse that you can use uh, and that God will be using in all of our lives at the same time. And I pray that it would be uh, growing um, our church with one focus and unifying our church with the same focus providing encouragement for us, right? That your church family is memorizing the same verse that you are at the same exact time that you are. Bible memory, Christian, is so, so vital to your spiritual uh, well-being as God will use it to shape you individually and use it to shape us corporately. And I'm confident that as we, as we memorize these verses, we will watch these verses play themselves out in our witnessing. Um, as we go about our lives, our individual worlds that everybody here lives in separately and minister to the people in our paths, God will so bring these verses to the front and center and use them because that's how the, the word works. That's how the Holy Spirit works. That's what God does in our lives as we're faithful. So I hope you've been meditating upon it and memorizing it. All right. Can you say it? We'll put it up on the screen, not to embarrass anybody. Here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Say it again. Ready? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Good job, everybody. Keep memorizing. Um, we won't do this every week, but we're doing it for, for, the, um, for, for the majority of the weeks within the month. So good job. And by the way, take every, um, every opportunity that you can as you're hiding God's word in your heart, as you're meditating upon it night and day, as you're being careful to do everything in it, take every chance to recite these verses together, okay? So like surprise somebody in the hallway and say, can you do the verse? All right, do that and let's see if they'll do it, okay? Um, don't underestimate the power of reciting a, the same verse of scripture over and over and over again. That's why Bible memory works. You see things that you didn't see before. This Mining God's word is like mining an endless uh, treasure field, right? And, and so if you meditate on the same verse over and over and over again, God is going to do in your heart what only he can do with his word in deep, meaningful ways rather than just on the surface. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can open them to Luke chapter 10, 
verses 17 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Um, If you don't have your Bible, go ahead and grab one in the back because you're going to need it for what we do. And uh, if you um, if you do have one, um, I, I pray that uh, God would allow the Bible to to really shape you as we look at it, rather than so much of what I say or present to you. Last week, we celebrated our church's fourth birthday, and what a day of worship it was! I tell you what, it was it was really full of magnifying the Lord and what He has done, giving thanks and praise to the Lord for His eternal work that He's accomplishing right before our eyes. Did you know that, church? You are, you are going to live forever. Listen, you are going to live forever. Your world right now may seem like the most important thing in the entire universe, but you're going to die, and then it's going to be eternity, right? And this is going to be just a little blip on the radar. Right now is just a blip on, on the radar of eternity. So it might seem really important. It's not. Your eternity is important. And so God's supernatural work to save people for all of eternity right? We are witnessing that before our eyes in the life of our church. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we're celebrating. And so it just so happened by God's sovereignty. And as we are expressing the joy of witnessing his supernatural work for four years, which is incredible, as it just so happened by God's sovereign plan for our church, as we're just walking through the book of Luke, God planned last week to give us a text of the disciples returning to Jesus after being sent out for their ministry, and they are returning, they are reporting, and they are rejoicing in what the, in what the Lord has done in their ministry over the time that they were sent out. And so for us, we watched the disciples testify to something that we were testifying to at the same time. And I love that because God uses his word as we just walk through it to give us what our church needs at the appropriate time, right? He's with us. And here's what the the disciples testified to. Okay, ready? It'll be up on the screen. Here's what the testimony is. This is encompassing the testimony. The cost of the call is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought about by God's hand. That's what they're testifying to when they come back. They're saying this cost was, was heavy. We had to die to ourselves, give up our old lives, surrender to him, follow him, trust in him. The cost of that call was is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought about by God's hand. That's true for our salvation, right? Listen, if you're going to come to Christ, you know what the calling is? Die to self. Give up your life. Follow me. Can I tell you something? The cost of that call? incomparable to the joy that you will have for all of eternity. It's worth it. This is what they are showing us. They're showing us when they return, they're showing us it's worth it. He's trustworthy. We can follow him. He did it. He's the Lord. We believe him. People are saved. His plan worked. His ways worked. His word worked. His methods worked. Don't try any other methods just to get more people. Don't do that. Trust his word. Just do it right. They're testifying to the fact that this is working, that it's real, that this is the Messiah, that he's true. The 72 were sent out. They obeyed Jesus's instructions. They trusted him. Think about this from when we saw the 72 sent out. They trusted him. And after the display of their faith in him as the Messiah, they went as a display of that, right? You're not going on a journey to do what they were called to do unless you believe he's the Christ. 
right? This is a display of their faith. They're going, they're trusting his methods of evangelism and discipleship. Don't try to manipulate people, church. Don't try to coerce people. Don't try to give them an easy believism so we'll get them in and then we'll show them more later. Don't do that. Show them the truth because that's what the young believer, the non-believer, the mature believer needs. And anyone across the line, they just need this, right? And that's what they're doing. They're trusting his, his methods, his ways. And they returned with one thing, joy. They're happy. The disciples bore witness to the fact that the cost of the call is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought about by God's hand. Right. And that's exactly what we bore witness to last week. Obedience, trusting, following his methods, trusting his words, following his ways, trusting his ways in evangelism, discipleship yields joy for disciples. Right. Again, this is true of your own salvation and true of the experience of ministry. If you will trust him and you will share with your neighbor when you're afraid, you will come back with joy. If you will disciple someone, even though you feel ill-equipped to disciple them, every meeting you leave, you will have joy in your heart. If you will come on Sunday consistently, because even though it's hard to wake up, but you know you need the body of Christ and the word of God, you know what you will experience walking out? Joy. Unless I'm mean on that particular day. Right? Don't get me riled up. I'll preach angry. This is, what, this is what true disciples experience. Joy. Joy. If you will trust him and you will not trust in your possessions, you won't trust in your materials, you won't trust in your job and your security and your future here on earth, you will experience joy. If you say, why don't I have any joy? It might be because you're not putting yourself in a position to really follow Jesus and trust him with what his word says. Right? Then, and then you're only forced to be wise in your own mind. Listen, I, I, this is so important. This is so important. If you don't follow Jesus like this, what we would term as radical, but what the Bible would term as normal, you have only a, a few options. And that's to only be happy about you, yourself, and your own life. And can I tell you, no way you're going to be happy about that. Your heart is designed to be satisfied in God. And so you got to follow him like this and you will experience joy, right? So I gave the title last week of this, of the message, rejoicing in the work of God on the screen to the, uh, through the disciples ministry. This is what they're doing, rejoicing in the work of God through their ministry, right? And I'm giving the title again uh, this week, this title, because this is part two of it. In our passage last week, listen, we were witnessing the disciples joy and Jesus joined in right? He entered into their joy. He was rejoicing in the work of God through their ministry and salvation. And as they were, were doing that, right? Listen, they went out, they embraced the cost. They brought nothing. They were sent like lambs among wolves. Who comes back happy about that? right? They labored for the harvest. They had to trust the Lord's provision. They couldn't guarantee that people were going to respond. Some people might have said, get out of my house, get out of our town, right? That was what the Lord said might happen. They couldn't guarantee that people's hearts would receive this message or be prepared. They, they weren't called to secure accommodations for themselves, right? They, they had to stay in the house that they ended up uh, being in by whoever would receive them. They had a polarizing message that was full of judgment for those who would not receive this message. I mean, little did they know that the one thing they would return with would be joy. 
that they would return with joy. They wouldn't come back with everything. They would come back with something, though. Let me tell you what they wouldn't come back with. Riches, acceptance, popularity, fame, a great house, great meals, total reception by everybody. That's not what they returned with. They returned with something better. Joy. That's what they return with, and that's what we see. Listen, why did they have joy? They had joy because they realized the intimacy with the master. They, they had joy because they had to trust him. Like, you, you, want, you want adrenaline rush, right? Trust God, right? Not, not in the secular terms, but, but trust God for your life. Depend on him. Right? The, the world is, is, has actually lessened. It's we've fabricated adrenaline, fabricated joy. Right? Trust him. Watch him provide. Do his supernatural work in you and your family. Why don't you pray and let him do supernatural work and have to trust him? Right? That's joy. You're going to experience joy. The defeat of the evil one. We saw that last week. Satan was falling down from heaven. It was a lightning, cosmic lightning storm that Jesus was watching. Being his representatives, having his authority, knowing that this is what lies ahead, right? Joy incomparable. And this always glorifies Christ. But can I tell you, it always yields joy, right? It yields joy. Being on mission, radically following him, trusting his words, it will yield joy. If you don't have joy in Christ, you need to ask yourself some serious questions because it might reflect on the way in which you're following him. Disobedience, distraction, making my life about me, disinterest, inconsistency, lack of missional living, never evangelizing, never discipling, never giving my life away to others or for the local church or meditating upon or savoring his word, not putting myself in a position to needing to trust him, not radically obeying him and yielding to his ministry in my life will not produce joy, it will produce misery. It will produce misery. Don't buy what the world's selling you, right? It will produce misery. So this glorifies Christ because it shows him to be trustworthy. This returning with joy, let me tell you, it did not glorify the disciples. It glorified Christ. It showed him to be trustworthy. He's the one who gave the instructions. He's the one who the message was about. He was the one who was full of wisdom. He was the one who was showing them which way to go. It was his power working. He sent them out and it glorified him. He's trustworthy. So when you follow, listen, when you follow, trust and obey him and show the world that he's better than everything else you can get, can I tell you something? It will glorify him. It will show him to be better than the world can, can get. And then they'll say, well, I want to know him too. So that was part one last week. And this week, can I tell you something? This part two is even better. It's, it's simple, but it's better. Because today, what we're going to see is Jesus's joy. The whole focus today is on the joy of Christ. That's the whole focus today. We're seeing mainly the Savior's joy. Listen to this. The Savior of the universe, the preeminent one, the creator of the cosmos, the word of God. What does he get happy about? That's what you're seeing. To, that's what you're going to see today. Right? Front and center from Luke's lips or his pen. Right? He's happy. 
He's happy today. Last week, he was happy because he was kind of entering in their, their joy, you know, uh, re rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who, who rejoice. Jesus was fulfilling that last week. He was happy with them. He's like, I know, I know, I saw Satan fall down from heaven. They didn't understand that fully, right? But he was entering into their joy. Today, we see him being joyful before the Father. Just Jesus's joy, right? Jesus' joy. This is incredible. This is incredible. Because let me tell you something, ready? Jesus himself, the Savior, this is riveting, is going to show us what makes him happy. It should show us what makes Christ happy. It might not be what you think, right? It might not be what makes you happy because you might not line up with this. Right? You probably don't. But you should say this is what should make me happy. This passage is special and unique. We're going to focus on the joy of Christ. Listen, the focus of our verses is on Jesus rejoicing, his joy. So hold on to your seats because we're going to look at this and it's going to, I think, move in your heart in a deep way that's going to cause you to love him more and to be joyful about what he's joyful about. Listen, you're about to witness Christ's joy, see what makes him happy. Did you know, church? Before we read this, God is the happiest being in all the universe. Okay, let me tell you this. He's the happiest being in all the universe. He's happier than, than anybody else in the cosmos, right? And why? Because the experience of his own holiness and glory is perfect, right? It's perfect. He is the happiest being in all the universe. First Chronicles 16, 27. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Even in the story of creation, listen, God saw all that he made, and what did he say? This is what? Good. He was happy about it, right? And this is why when we become like Jesus, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, you could probably recite that passage, right? One of the, the, the elements that, that the Spirit does in us when we come to know Christ is, is bring about what? Joy. Because the Spirit makes us more like Christ, right? So look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you come to know Christ, this is what the Spirit's doing. He's making you more like Christ, and one of those elements is joy. The Scripture calls God this. Look at this. Ready? The blessed or happy God. The gospel, 1 Timothy 1.11, of the glory of the blessed God. Blessed, happy. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council, right? We're just saying this. Happy. Happy in God is the man who follows him. Yet in many ways, let me just explain this. As true believers who are made in his image are always, they're sorrowful on this earth, yet always rejoicing, as 2 Corinthians 6.10 says. So too, you might say, well, why is this the only place where Jesus is showing us his joy? Well, Christ too on the earth was sorrowful. Yet, always rejoicing. Why? Listen, as Isaiah 53 says, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with what? Acquainted with grief. The sinfulness of the world. His understanding of man's heart. Him knowing what was necessary for salvation. His own rejection, betrayal, being forsaken by his father, 
to, to suffer the wrath that you and I deserve. He felt as the time of Noah. Remember when God said, I am grieved for what I've made because I know what's in the hearts of men, right? Like this is what he, this is why on earth you see sorrow the whole time with Christ, right? Even though he is the happiest God, right? Because he is so serious and sorrowful about what his experience is on earth. When he went to Lazarus' grave, he was, he was sad. He, he, he wept. When he went to Jerusalem and saw Jerusalem and he looked at Jerusalem, he was grieved, right? When he goes to the cross, he's full of sorrow. When he's in the garden, he's so pressed up against the Father's will that he's sweating blood and he's crying out. He was full of sorrow, grief, weeping, even loud crying because of what he knew was ahead of him. But, for the Philippians tells us, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So let me just tell you this, church, ready? He's the happiest God in all the, all the universe. He's the only God, but he's happy. But the reason why we only see this one time is because he's, he's got a serious task, to die for sinners. So church, let me just tell you this. Today, you should see what makes Jesus rejoice you should see what he values. You should see what pleases him. You should see what you should rejoice over if you are to be like him, right? And you are to know from this passage even last week that if you will follow him, you will experience joy like the disciples. Let's pray. Let's read this. We'll look at two major points in our section. Father, we come before you and we need your, your, your work. We need you to do your work. Show us today, God, in this passage, what you, Christ, are happy about. And let us be happy. Though we are on this earth still and we are full of sorrow, because of the state of the world, because of the state of our own hearts, because of the, the, the serious call to, to go and reach the lost, because of what all can go and does go wrong, Help us to be always rejoicing in at least a couple of things that you rejoice in today, that we see. Help us to be people who rejoice over what you rejoice. Help us not to say, well, this doesn't seem very joyful to me. Or help us not to say, this doesn't line up with what I think would make me, myself, happy. Help us to say, if this is what makes you, Christ, happy, then that's surely what should make us happy. I pray that this shows us another step in this journey of these true disciples following you on the way to Jerusalem, being taught about what it means to be your true disciples, that, that we would see joy comes from true discipleship and the things that we should be joyful over. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Here we go. <clears throat> Read with me. The 72 returned with joy. This is last week. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
right? Now, this week, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What an awesome picture. This is the journey, Christ and the disciples, right? He is the Christ. He's given them practical instructions. They've had a lot of failure already. As they're going to Jerusalem, Luke gives us a window now into Christ's joy. He's telling us why Christ is rejoicing here, and Jesus himself is telling us. There's two reasons for his rejoicing, right? There's two things that he's being happy about, two reasons for his rejoicing. This is a glimpse into the joy of Jesus. And what we see in this, in this glimpse is uh, Jesus rejoiced over two things. And the number one, the first thing that we see him rejoicing over is sovereign grace. That's what he's rejoicing over. I'm gonna explain this, but this is literally what he's rejoicing over. Sovereign grace. I'm gonna explain this to you. But if you wanna say, how do I be like, how, how, am I, how should I be like Jesus, right? You should rejoice over sovereign grace, okay? You might, you might say, well, this doesn't match up. I don't know if that's something to be happy about. Well, this is literally what it's saying. So we gotta take the word for what it says and we gotta believe it's true, right? Watch this, ready? Sovereign grace. Jesus is happy here about some very particular things summarized by what we would say is sovereign grace. Let's read where these verses come from, okay? Verses 21 through 22, right? This point comes from verses 21 through 22, so read it. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Now, let me summarize this. You gotta stay with me on this part. Let me summarize what, let me take sovereign grace and expand it, okay? The Father, here's what he's rejoicing over. The Father's sovereign grace in revealing the gospel to humble and trusting people by his pleasure through the authority of the Son. Let me say this again, ready? The Father's sovereign grace in choosing to reveal the gospel to the humble and the trusting by his pleasure, through the authority of the Son. That's what makes Jesus happy, okay? Say, well, what does that all mean? Well, let me explain to you. You're gonna just see me pick that apart along the way. Verse 20, if you remember from last week, Jesus turns their gaze. Don't be happy about your ministry. 
as much as you're happy about the miracle of your own salvation. Remember this? Like, be happy that your names are written in heaven, right? He turns it. Their obedience going out, being strengthened in faith, revealed that they're his true disciples. Listen, ready? When they went out, they came back with joy. He's happy because it's clear they got it. You're getting it. You're strong in the, you're being strengthened in the faith. You're, you're in now, right? You're following me. He's turning. He's saying, you're going out. It's not disconnected from them going out. It's connected. He's saying, you're going out is proof that you're my true disciples. Be glad, disciples, that your names are written in, in heaven. You're my true disciples, right? So in view of their salvation, prompted by their salvation, we then turn to verse 21, where Jesus elaborates on their salvation, and salvation in general. It says this, follow with me, verse 21, ready? In that same hour, AKA, at that very time, right? Verse 21, I'm just following through the text. At that very time, or you could say, at the same time, right? Right now, while he was happy about their salvation, that they've shown it and that they're saved, at that same time, He's rejoicing himself before the Father. He rejoiced, it says, in the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced greatly. Now, you got to ask this question. Listen to me. Ready? You might say, well, Jesus, he, he just had things going well. No, he didn't. If you want to know what the progression is of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's, listen, it's always progressively getting worse. He's becoming more and more and more and more and more and more sorrowful as he approaches the cross. So talk about being happy in the midst of circumstance. Like, he's got nothing to be happy about. They're, they're rejecting him. His church ain't growing in the way that the world would want, right? He's turning people away. The true church is growing, right? But he's going to die. He's rejoicing. But even in the midst of this, right? Listen, he is rejoicing. It says at that very time, he rejoiced greatly. Now I want you to understand something. This is where sometimes the translation is very, is difficult because it doesn't just mean like, hey, he was really happy. Okay. This word here means thrilled. He overflowed. He was jubilant, right? Just like we saw the disciples like giddy, like they were elbowing each other. Jesus is overflowing with joy. You ever seen God rejoice? No, you haven't. This is what's happening here. God is rejoicing. Imagine what that looks like, right? What does God look like when he's happy? Watch out. Cause there's like, you know, lightning coming out, right? He's so happy here. What the goal, and let me just tell you something. This is not a type of joy. If you look at this word, it's not a type of joy that comes along the journey. It's a joy of something that has already been realized, already been established. That's the connotation of this word. It's something that's been reached. The goal, it's a joy you have when the goal is reached, right? Like this is the type of joy. Something's already been done that he's happy about and he's establishing it, right? And this happened when the 72 returned. Can you imagine this? When the 72 returned, when he said, man, you guys, are, you're got, you guys got it. Be happy that your, hand, your, your, your names are written in heaven. It struck his perfect and holy mind, right? That part of God's eternal plan was to save these men and write their names in heaven. He's in supreme jubilation because of the finality of their salvation. 
He's happy because they're saved. He's always rejoicing. But here, he is happy about the salvation. But he's not just speaking in terms of them because he's now speaking in verse 21 in general. Listen to me, ready? It'd be like the weight of you realizing, right? Like, think about this. You're, you're sharing the gospel with your friend and, and, and you just don't even know how it's, it's having its effect, right? Like, you don't even know how this thing is working, but they're coming to know Christ, right? And you're like, this is all God. And you're just rejoicing, not only in their salvation, but like just in the fact that God does the work of salvation, right? That's what's happening here, right? This is weighty. This is real. He's, he's rejoicing, right? And this is a far more infinite joy than you can imagine or experience, right? So there's deep insight here. In that same hour, he was thrilled, overjoyed, right? Watch this. Keep looking at it. In the Holy Spirit, right? Listen, in, the light, in light of his rejection, in light of the horrors, the agony of the earth, right? God's sovereign plan of saving is still working. Listen, ready? He's, the God is still saving no matter what the world is doing here. He's happy about that. He's saying, God, they went out, they rejected there's many who are not following me, right? They had to trust me. They showed that they're mine. And there's a whole lot of people against us. But I thank you, Father. You're still saving, right? And you always will. You're in control, right? This is what's happening here, right? He's got true passion in this too. You want to know how we know this? Because he uses words like, even if you go down a little bit, yes, Father, like he's saying things like that, that you would say like, oh, father, yes, father. This is passion, rejoicing, jubilation. You got to get the tone of this, right? You got to see these little details that would say like, no one says, yes, you're not just saying that stoically. Yes, father. I'm so glad. Like he, this is passion, right? This is passion. And he says in the Holy Spirit, look at this, stay with me in the verses. In that same hour, he rejoiced. Now we're at this point in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes him to rejoice. You ever wonder, what's, what does the Holy Spirit do, right? Well, we're going to actually put out a little book that's going to go out into the lobby, just a real small one, that's going to teach you very basic foundational level about what the Holy Spirit does and who he, he is. It's not an it, it's a he, he's a third member of the Trinity, right? One of the things that you can know that he does is cause us to rejoice, Right? Because that's what he's doing in, for Jesus right now. It's causing him to rejoice. Now look at this. Ready? What does he also do? He causes Jesus to overflow in prayer. Look at this. Ready? He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and then he said. Who's he talking to there? He said. Who's he talking to? The Father. So the Holy Spirit causes us to rejoice in what makes God happy and then he causes us to pray. He prompts us to pray, right? This is what's happening here, right? This is a good word for us, right? And it's also keeping in his plan, his purpose, and his power. So let me tell you what he's not rejoicing in because he's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. He's not rejoicing in something that he's selfishly ambitious about, right? He's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Watch this, John 4, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and what? Truth. He's rejoicing in what accords with God's value system, 
in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, listen, ready? He says this. I thank you. This is when he starts praying. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's a, this is a common Jewish comprehensive phrase. And you know what it means? The Lord is sovereign. That's what it means. So I'm not just making this, this up, right? Like this is what it literally means. The Lord is sovereign, okay? So look at this, Acts 17, 24 through 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of what? Heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. But since he himself, I love this line, ready? Gives to all mankind life and breath. And oh yeah, in case like we didn't summarize it in life and breath, we'll just say, and everything, right? Like this is the sovereign Lord that he's rejoicing. This is what he's saying. I re- this is what he's telling us here. I'm rejoicing in God's sovereignty, Right? What is he rejoicing in about God's sovereignty? Well, here's what he's rejoicing in. Ready? God's sovereignty, Lord of heaven and earth. That is what, that's what he's showing us here. And then he's rejoicing in something very particular about God's sovereignty. And that's God's divine decision about salvation on who to reveal to and who to not reveal to. Look at that. It's just a progression of the text. Ready? In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. We talked about all that. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, sovereign. You do what you please, right? That you have, and then he talks about hiding and revealing. He's rejoicing in God's sovereignty, particularly about his divine decision and who to reveal salvation to. It's unconditional. It's his choice. He says, hide this, stay with it, ready? Hide these things from the wise and understanding. Let's stop there. It doesn't mean that if you're smart, right? Who in this room is smart? There was a test to see if you were, if you had any pride in you. Just kidding. Okay, I set you up. I was playing with you. It doesn't mean that if you're smart that you don't get salvation. It means he's hidden these things to those who think they can get to it by themselves. Right? You've hidden, here's what he's saying, ready? You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, meaning this, I'm glad you didn't devise a salvation that only the wise and the intelligent can get to. Right? Like the ones who are smart and strategic and can figure out a way to get to it on their own way and they're gonna be more even wise and strategic than the Bible is. They're going to just think their way. Like, I know God says this, but listen, I know if we go this way and that way and this way, God will be pleased with us. Like, like thank, I thank you, Father, in your sovereign plan, you choose who you're going to reveal this salvation to. And it's not the ones who are going to get there on their own. Right? And so you can be as wise as you want. Listen, you can be as wise as you want in the world and you still don't, you can't know God on your own. 
This is going to take a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to soften your heart and open your eyes. If you have disinterest in the things of God, you better pray your guts out that God opens your heart and soft, uh, opens your eyes and softens your heart. Because that's got to be a work of God. It's a miracle. And he's praying, thank you, God. IQ doesn't matter. Your, your position doesn't matter. Thank you. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are in view here. Thank you, God, that you don't just save those who can get to us, get to me by, by, by themselves, but that you reveal yourself to who you choose. Romans 1.22, look at this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Who? The ones who claimed to be wise. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Right? There's more here. Listen, you know what that, that means when it says became fools? Literally, that word means moron. It does. Claiming to be wise, they became morons. Because they thought they could get to God by themselves. It's only by faith. Listen, it's only through his sovereign work. This is what he's saying. Lord of heaven and earth means God's sovereignty. You chose not to give it to the people who can get on their own, but to who you reveal it to. This is what he's getting to now, right? Listen, the ones who have eyes to see because you have shown them, right? This is what he's saying. Look at this, ready? You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Can I tell you what that literally means? A suckling, a nursing baby. It's not a child, this, this, it's a, it's a nursing baby that literally has no ability to get to milk, to do anything on their own, has resolved that I have zero to bring. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know how to figure this out and my way works and I know how to get to God and I know which way is best for the church to be and I know which way this is the, the, the going to, to God and follow. Like, it's just like, no, I don't have anything. Just give me your word. Tell me what it says and I'm just going to do it because I don't know anything else, right? Like that's the ones who he reveals this to. Let me just look at what his word says. I'm just going to do it even if it makes no sense, Right? That's when salvation comes. I don't know anything. I don't know how to get to God. I'm not good enough. I can't figure this out. Jesus died on the cross. I trust it. It's my only hope. That's, who's, that's where salvation comes. Right? This is what he's saying. Revealed it to them, to, to the sucklings, to the nursing babies. Right? God chooses to reveal this. And this is directly out of the overflow of these disciples coming to know Christ, what is he saying about them? <laughs> They're nursing babes. They didn't know anything. They just trusted me. They went. Thank you, God, that you chose to reveal yourself to them. Right? The 72 are probably like, hey, what'd you call us? Right? No achievement, no accomplishment. Nothing do you bring, but simply to the what? To the cross you cling. No ability, word of God, glory of God belongs to him. He, he does this, right? Can I tell you something? Like, go back up to that statement that I said in the beginning. So listen to this. The Father's sovereign grace in revealing the gospel to the humble and trusting by his pleasure 
through the authority of the Son, which is what we're going to get to in just a second, right? But look at this. Let me just show you who the ones who receive salvation, okay? Check this out. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Be humble, fear the Lord. You'll have life. That's who he reveals it to. Watch this. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Listen, here's what he's saying. I'm high, I'm holy, right? But here's who I choose to dwell with. The one who is contrite and lowly, of lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. These disciples got it because they've, humbled himself to trust his words, right? God is glorified in this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Ready? Isaiah 66, two. All these things my hand has made. What things? All these things. <laughs> I love phrases like that. Like you just, you, there's nothing that's outside of this, right? And so all things came to be. What things came to be? All things, declares the Lord. And this is the one to whom I will look. I love this. Listen, he makes, he makes you have a big view of him before he says what he's about to say or else it wouldn't mean much. Then he says, and this is the one to whom I, Lord of heaven and earth, who made everything and bring everything into being, will look to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who, I love this, trembles at my word. You might come in here and say, why are we so intense about the word of God? Why don't we make this thing like really attractive? Well, that's not what Jesus says. He says to tremble at it, right? This is who Jesus reveals to. And then let me just show you this last part, ready? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Such was your gracious will. You know what that means? It pleased him. This was well-pleasing to you to do it this way. For his good pleasure, remember that line in the beginning, right? Our God is in the heavens, Psalm 115, 13. Go ahead and put that up. Psalm 115, 13, is it on there? And he does all that he, what? Pleases. This was his good pleasure. So let me show you one last part here. Verse 22, stay with it, ready? So by the way, this is makes God happy. This is God's pleasure to do it this way, to do salvation this way. Christ's role is in this next verse, verse 22. Look at this. And all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. He's happy about this. Thank you, God, as they return, that these guys got it, prompting him to be joyful. Thank you, Father, right, that you have done this, that, that you are the sovereign one you choose to reveal, to reveal the gospel to. We don't get there on our own, but it's to who you reveal it to, and the ones you reveal it to are the ones who have nothing in it of themselves but just cling to your work for salvation. Thank you, because that made you happy. That was your pleasure to do it this way. And then he gets into this this next part where he speaks of his particular role in this, Christ's role. He says, all things have been handed over to me, 
right? All things have been handed over to me by my father. Matthew 28, 18, you guys know this one, right? And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been what? Given to me. John 3, 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life and whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He's saying this, by my father, Christ's role in salvation is this. Check this out. No one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son. And anyone to whom the son, circle this word, what? Chooses to reveal him. This is what we call sovereign grace. The authority of Christ's role, the father's sovereign grace, remember we said this, in revealing the gospel to the humble and trusting by, the pleasure, by his pleasure through the authority of the who? Son. John 6, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Let me tell you what this means about salvation. Ready? Put this in your category of mind. It means you're totally depraved. This passage, in essence, totally depraved. You can't get to God on your own. You don't even know what you don't know. Romans 3.23 says, no, Romans 3.10-12 says that no one seeks for God. If left by yourself, you will not seek for God. That's your nature, right? Unconditional election, right? God, who the son chooses, I mean, it just says it here, who the son chooses, it's not based upon any merit of these men because it's not to the wise or intelligent. It's not based upon any merit that God even foreknew and said, hey, I knew they would be awesome, so I decided back then to save them. It was just in his sovereign grace. And the only one who the cross counts for, it's limited, is the one who he reveals it to. It, if you don't trust in this and he doesn't move in your heart, you don't get salvation, right? You, it's not universalism. We're not talking about universalism. Everyone just finds their way up the mountain, as Oprah said about 10 years ago. Remember that? And, and whatever way you get up there is the way in which you get up there and you be saved. That's not true. That's not true. It's to who he... And then this irresistible grace. When he chooses and he moves, that person is coming to Christ, right? This is what we see in this. It's his, it's his movement that must happen. And you want to know what? Those are the people who will last forever on into eternity and truly be saved. This is what he's showing us in this passage. I'm making this up. It just shows us about salvation here. We see Jesus rejoicing, sovereign grace. Thank you, Father, that you're so sovereign. Lord of heaven and earth, you're the sovereign one, right? You move, you save those who, who are not getting there on their own, but who you move in their hearts, right? For your good pleasure, 
No one can, can, can understand this unless you and I reveal this message to them. That's good news for you because that means God is pursuing the sinner. You don't, have, you don't do this on your own, right? That's how much he loves you. This is what he rejoices over. Church, do you rejoice over that? Do you rejoice over God's sovereign grace? Like, that's what you should be rejoicing over. You say, well, that doesn't sound like something I would rejoice over. Well, then that's an area that you're not like Christ. Because that's what he's rejoicing over. The second thing is quick. The second thing he's rejoicing over, and he's rejoicing over then, it's just the perfect, like, overflow of the privilege of salvation. If that is how salvation works, whew, what a privilege it is to be saved. Right? Like, that's what he's saying. What a, an enormous privilege to be called by God and to be saved from my sin. Man, there could be no greater privilege. Verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said privately. So now, notice this. He's not saying this to everybody, right? Crowds, he wanna make sure the crowds are not listening in because he doesn't wanna give them false assurance of their salvation. Chad and I used to have a professor in seminary in our our class, uh, it was called uh, personal evangelism. Um, It was a class just about evangelism, right? And uh, he said, you're not in the assurance business. Don't go around assuring people that they're saved. Because they might not be. There's a lot of people who know, right? Instead, press in with the gospel. And they make it to the end. The Bible says what? They're what? Saved. Salvation is evidenced by two things. Perseverance and the production of fruit. Perseverance, you make it to the end. In the production of fruit, you show that you're becoming more like Christ, right? That's how God teaches us to, to, to judge whether or not someone may know Christ or not. He does call us to judge. You say, well, God says don't judge. Uh, in some ways, he says to judge. So the privilege of salvation, right? He's turning to his disciples and he's saying to them privately, so that not everybody thinks that they're followers of him. And he said, blessed, happy, privileged in God, right? Are you, are the eyes that see what you see? Like, this is God's sovereign work. The fact that you can see, whoo, what a privilege. It means God opened your eyes. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Did you know that long ago prophets, they heard of the coming Christ. They heard of the Messiah. The kings, they heard of the Christ. They heard of the Messiah. They longed to be part of the day that would see the Messiah. And guess what you are, you ragtag 72? You're privileged because you see it. You're here. When it's time, can I tell you, you're even more privileged Because you have the written word of God that's completed. You have the written, you have the completed work of the cross. Jesus said, it's better that I go away because the helper will come. 
You are in the most privileged state of redemptive history. The Holy Spirit doing the work inside of you and in the world to convict you of your sin. The word of God completed and the completed work of the son. You are in the most privileged state of redemptive history. You say, well, if I was with him, maybe if I saw him face to face, I would believe him. No, you wouldn't. Not if you don't believe now. That's a supernatural work of God. And there are plenty of people who saw him physically and didn't believe in him. Right? Listen, this is it. He's saying, privileged are you. Why? Well, can I tell you this? Watch this. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not a big flock. Right? It's a little flock. Privileged are you. Can I tell you something? I'm reading the book of Esther right now in my own personal time. And the Jews are dispersed, scattered, and, and seen as lowly in the area of, of Persia. And I'm just watching this and I'm saying, you know what? When we're dispersed, scattered, not a lot of people, feeling like we're out of place, feeling like it's somebody else's kingdom and we're living in it, we don't have a ton. We're not, we're not, we're not, we don't have the most, the, the greatest, the best, etc. That's actually more like God's people across redemptive history than the opposite. Right? As you know, I'm doing something right here. Can I tell you, let me show you this last verse and we're done. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the what? Narrow gate. Right? Privileged are you because you see it. You see the things that many people were that wanted to see, that the, the, the kings and the prophets wanted to see. Many people do not hear or see what you hear and see. Listen, this is... This is must take God's work for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. You want to go to destruction? It's going to be easy. Easy for you to get there. Right? And those who enter by that way are what? Many. Many. Just like when Jesus said in another place, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out many demons in your name? Right? And he said, turn away from me. I never knew you. Many. I don't know what many means exactly, but I know it doesn't mean a few. Right? But look at this. For the gate is what? Narrow. And the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus is saying, you're in Christ. What a privilege you have. Rejoice in your salvation. Church, we close and we say, this is the joy of being like Christ. This is the joy of Christ. This is what the disciples of joy will, uh, disciples of Christ will experience if they will follow him. This is what you should rejoice over too if you are to be like Christ. He is showing his disciples what this looks like. Church, rejoice over sovereign grace and over the privilege of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. What an incredible word that you have given us that we can just look at, read, and just try to understand. Your word is, is like life to our bones and some it's like death. The same word that produces life is the same word that produces death. 
And so I pray that everyone who is in this place would believe. And this would be the word that leads to life, not to death. I pray, God, that there would be no one in here who says, I don't want this. Just like in John 6, who can stomach this? And turns away in this same word that is meant to produce life ends up being a stumbling block and a word that leads to death. Life to life for some and death to death for others. I pray, God, that this would lead to life for everybody in this room. Eyes would be opened, hearts would be softened, people would be saved, and your spirit and your word would work in a way that only it can to produce a true, lifelong disciple of you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.